Hi there, welcome along to the final Euro 2020 episode of our special run to coincide with what has actually been a brilliant football tournament, hasn't it? Um, And as we all digest what happened last night between England and Germany, you're about to hear a conversation with a young man who I know would have loved to have been there. In fact, the way that his career was going, you would have expected him to be there, but things just didn't go the way he, you or I thought they would. Today, on this episode... We hear from Daniel Sturridge. Of course, I want to. I want to succeed. Of course, I want to be the best version of myself. Of course, I want to win trophies and do all those things. But first and foremost, be grateful and soak up the blessings. Because a lot of the times, I never lived in the moment of just feeling like, "Wow, I achieved something." I can't wait for you to hear what uh, Daniel has to say. And can I just say thanks for all of the comments and thoughts you've sent in to us after these Euro 2020 episodes. Our plan, really, for these four or five episodes was to make you think differently about footballers, reconsider what you thought a footballer was like or how they thought or the lives they lived. Um, and I think from Gareth Southgate to Thomas Hal robson Carney to Hector Bellerin to Grant Hanley to Daniel Sturridge, I think we've done that, so I can't wait for you to hear this episode. Of course, this episode is being brought to you in partnership with Whoop. Um, and Whoop is wearable tech, which I use. I wouldn't sit here and talk to you about it unless I believed in it and used it myself. So I would say that most wearable tech that talks to you about your health tells you what you've done. The great thing about Whoop is that it tells you what you need to do. So it measures your sleep and then decides how much exercise you need to do. It tells you in real time whether you've done enough exercise for the day. It also measures your heart rate variation to tell you whether you're fully recovered to properly push yourself in the gym. Um, And if you would like the first month of your Whoop subscription to be free, then you can get that with an exclusive deal they've done with us here at the High Performance Podcast. Just go to join.whoop.com forward slash HPP. That's join.whoop.com forward slash HPP. And actually, we've created our own little um, community on Whoop as well. So we can all get together. We can talk about the podcast. We can share our results, look at what's going on with our heart rate and whether we're all getting enough sleep. I know that I'm probably not. If you want to join our team on Whoop, um, then you need the code COM, C-O-M-M hyphen T-H-P-P-21. That's C-O-M-M hyphen T-H-P-P-21. Right, Daniel Sturridge on the Euro 2020 High Performance Podcast special comes next. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen 
premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Life among the elite is one of extremes. Devastating lows, public humiliation, private turmoil. But they go hand-in-hand with glorious highs, seemingly endless adulation and the most incredible experiences of a rich life. So how does a human being begin to process both of those things? Because today's guest has felt the lot and he's won the lot. Premier League, Champions League, FA Cup. Ten years ago, it was all ahead of him. A decade on, it's a football-filled summer that he will spend as a free agent planning his next step. So how did he get here? What lessons has he learned that can help shape your decision-making And what does he believe the future holds? You know, I really think it's time to put your preconceptions to the side because this podcast is about who people really are because it's them telling us. So welcome to High Performance, Daniel Sturridge. Nice to have you with us. Thank you very much. I appreciate that. was a great, uh, great introduction there, to be fair. (laughs) (laughs) Well, let's crack on then. Great introduction, man. Yeah, let's do it. What is high performance? High performance is, for me, I think it's a difficult question to, to answer. Because it's very subjective. Some people in sport, football, may get it confused with being the best or world class or, you know, European class or whatever. For me, it's succeeding above the average and being successful in your field because a lot of people want to be known as the best and only the best. And that is the 0.0001%. There's only a handful of people that can say they are the best in anything. You know, I read a book and there was a great quote in it actually about high performance. So it was, we do not define high performance experiences as those that produce world-class results. Although world-class results may be an occasional outcome to define high performance in such a way would place the experience beyond all but the gifted few. He says we might harbour the personal illusion that we could do world-class work if we wanted to, but for most of us, that is an unattainable dream. Moreover, holding out for world-class performance can actually cripple us, keeping us from achieving our actual best performance with our own unique abilities and limitations. Um, High-performance experiences occur within the realm of the personal plausible and as such are truly empowering. So what I took from that was, you know, I think it's being the best version of yourself and achieving what you can achieve. So when you were younger then, did you get it wrong and think that high performance was being the best? Were you too busy comparing yourself to other people? Absolutely, absolutely. Growing up, you know, I I knew I was more technically gifted than most, to be honest. You know, I studied a lot, studied a lot of videos and did a lot of skills and all those types of things. But I think that you always compare yourself to other people because you do want to be known as the the best person. You want to be known as the best player or the best striker. Um, And that was, was for me, I always wanted to be known as the best, like the number one. And as I've gotten older, I've realised that maybe that's a, a mentality that can be a gift and a curse. It can drive you crazy. You do things that you don't necessarily need to do. It can take you away from who you truly are to become. I think 
working hard is different to what I'm talking about. You have to work hard. That's that's a given. That's that's rule number one. You know, work hard. But I think saying you want to be the best, it's not attainable for many people. So I'm glad now I'm older. I can I can look at it and say that was the wrong mentality I had back then. You know, because it, it wasn't it, it wasn't realistic really. But saying that though, Daniel, what you did achieve is still exceptional. There's that statistic that only 0.012% of children that play football will ever go and play in the Premier League. So you were still in that in that minority that went on to uh, to achieve high performance. So I'm interested in what did you do right to be able to achieve that? Well, I think again, I can look at my career, my career so far and be you know, really, really proud about what I have achieved. I think the things I did right when I was younger, I was extremely dedicated. I didn't really have teenage years, to be honest, um, in terms of, you know, like the high school thing. Yeah, we go out with my friends and we'll hang out and all those types of things. For me, I had a match on a Sunday morning um, and on a Saturday night, I was obsessed with the Spanish Premier League. Um, so I always used to watch, you know, Real Madrid or Barcelona play every every Saturday night. That was my Saturday um, Saturday night and my bit of fun that I that I would have. So I'd you know like to watch um, whether it be Zidane, Ronaldo or uh, Rivaldo when when he was at Barcelona and Figo and people like that. So I was really dedicated. Always wanted to to play football. You know, was in the front garden as a kid. You know, kicking a ball against the wall on my own. I have an older brother who. I used to, you know, hang out with all his friends and I was the baby, you know, so my brother's eight years older than me and all his friends. I, I used to play football with all his friends and, you know, score goals against them. So I always had that confidence to feel like, oh, I'm a little bit, you know, they're stronger than me and stuff. But, you know, I've, I've still got skills. I can still hold my own against these guys. So that was, was one of the things. And then also my dad coached me a lot. We used to, he used to put maybe 50 cones uh, in a row, I dribble through the cones with my left foot, he'd time it. I dribble through the cones with my right foot, he'd time it. And then it would be a thing of beating the times. I used to train a lot on shooting, finishing, and I was predominantly left footed probably until the age of 19, maybe, as in I'd only really use my left foot. I'd, you know, people would always say, show him on his left, show him on his left. So then the moments after that is when you start to learn and, and then, you know, kind of honing on your craft and do the things you need to do to get better um, and and be the best version of yourself, like I said earlier on. And we have a lot of um, parents of young sports people, lots of coaches, lots of young sports people listening to this podcast. It's brilliant to hear the great stuff you did. What were the most common mistakes you saw around you that people should be avoiding? I think parents being hard on their kids for me is is one of the things, you know, dad shouting on the sidelines and stuff like that. Like my my parents, fortunately for me, weren't like that, you know, Matt, but I think one that's probably one of the things, being too hard on your kids. There's a difference between helping them and giving them advice in, in a right way and also not shouting and all those types of things. I think that, that can be a problem, um, in my opinion. Some kids do need that. You know, not everyone's the same, but I find that it takes away some confidence sometimes. And I think in sports, confidence is 
again, probably the number one thing that separates being good and being great. When you're confident in anything, supremely confident in in yourself, you excel to, to a level that sometimes you don't even know you can achieve. So would you tell us then, Daniel, how, how do you develop confidence? And secondly, how do you protect confidence? I think to develop confidence, it's about taking baby steps in the right direction. My mistakes I made was I wanted to make significant jumps quickly because I learned things really fast. But the problem is I want to make significant jumps quickly because I'm used to kind of, you know, learning. So I could learn a game today and then probably in a couple of days, I'd be one of the best at playing that game. Or you could teach me something today and then in a couple of hours, I could be better than you at it. So that's how, how I was growing up and still am today, to be fair. But um, I find that with confidence, it's about taking baby steps, giving yourself achievable goals. And also when you do something that you didn't think you can do, you're like, oh my God, I did it. Like, and that gives you that boost. And when you have confidence as well, you can do anything you want to do when you don't have confidence and how do you get it back? That's the difficult part. I've had a period of time where, for instance, I was having a season where I was I was banging in the goals every, you know, every other week I was scoring. And my uncle Dean obviously has played the game professionally. And he said to me, you know, like you're gonna probably go through a patch where you might not be scoring so frequently. You know, Sadio Mane, for instance, came out publicly and said, like, I don't know what's what's going on. Like, I, you know, I had to get my body checked out and all these types of things because he wasn't sure as to why his performances weren't going. And sometimes it's just going through it. Sometimes it's just continuing going on, continuing doing your routine, continuing, and then it will change. It's not necessarily about, okay, I'm going to work extremely more. I'm going to work harder now. I'm going to do this now and I'm going to change. What you've done's worked. It's just about continuing to go on and maybe for me you know I have a psychologist um, who I work with I've been working with for the last few months and I think that is something that athletes don't tap into enough for me now I'm in the best headspace possible training's going great body feels amazing feel on top of the world and I think if I had that in those difficult moments when your confidence is low and you you know you're feeling because you hear the same voices friends, family, coaches, but having an outside voice, somebody else who wants to get to know the real you from the inside and you can tell them your demons, you can tell them all the things that are making you feel a certain way and why you're going through this rut. You can come out the other side quicker than than you would have if you did it on your own. And when you sit and talk now, Daniel, you know, you've got obvious clarity of thought. There's a real maturity to the things that you're saying. You're sitting here as a father. I think maybe the time you've had away from the game is probably actually a really good thing because you can take a step back and and see what else is there. And we'll we'll talk about your future plans in a second. But from being in a brilliant place, can you take us to the most difficult place and just really, in as honest a detail as possible, explain how hard it can be to be in that place? Because from the outside, the life of a professional footballer looks Mm -hmm. nothing but but blissful, does it? Absolutely, I think. We all know we're blessed as football players, as athletes. And I think sometimes we do take it for granted too. Because we're so obsessed with being successful and winning and all these types of things, you don't take into account and soak up the blessings you've actually, like the position you're in, like, wow, I'm actually playing for this team or wow, I just, you know, did this or... We don't have the the same life concerns as 
that have you know the, the the people do that aren't in sports and earning the kind of money that footballers earn. So sometimes it's just about having gratitude and and saying you know what I'm actually grateful for where I am right now, where I am in life. I'm grateful for. Of course, I want to I want to succeed. Of course, I want to be the best version of myself. Of course, I want to win trophies and do all those things. But first and foremost, be grateful and soak up the blessings because a lot of the times I never lived in the moment of just feeling like wow i achieved something or i i did something i i i didn't really ever feel that way it was more a case of like all right cool like yeah i scored a hat trick or yeah i scored today cool who we got next week let me watch the the game let me watch the videos let me assess let me analyze i can't believe i missed that chance daniel you've scored two goals today what why are you worrying about the third, the fourth and fifth and sixth chance you've missed so it's the mentality of just wanting to do more instead of being happy with what you've achieved and what you've got sometimes is is how you need to operate so how difficult is that within a culture where you're constantly striving for the next goal the next target the pressure of the media demands that that kind of relentless focus how difficult is it for a coach or for players to then encourage you to savor the moment and to appreciate what you've done and what you've got it's hard because as i said for me when i was when i've had this year off so i've been able to analyze i've been able to look back i've been able to watch games feel things that i've not felt when i'm playing because when you're playing i was consumed by football you know everything lived it breathed it everything was centered around football all my conversations i had with people my family my you know because they're a footballing family everyone's obsessed with football so conversations we'd be meeting up for a domino night and we're we're talking about footy we're talking about it talking about that like so sometimes it's about like like the same goals put the ball away and yes you can savor things but sometimes put the ball away and, and let your mind just relax sometimes but that obsession and that relentlessness i have that and i know that when i'm back playing it's going to come back but because i've had this year off now i know that i can manage my mindset better in that you know what i've scored savor the moment today enjoy today and then we'll continue going this week you don't dwell on the moments of course you don't you don't think okay we've won the we've won the champions league lads we're going to celebrate this until and we're going to walk around saying we're the champions until the next people win it I know that the fans say that like yeah we're champions of Europe and they'll say that we're still champions of Europe but as a player you don't feel like that you know that you know what that was last year this season nobody's names written on the trophy that relentlessness that that um, obsession it never goes away yeah, but I think that what you're talking about there although it's difficult when you reflect it's also the reason that you were so successful you know I remember working with David Coulthard when I first started my broadcast career in Formula One and we were watching a driver on the podium I said man that must feel amazing and he looked at me and he said son what you need to understand is when I crash a car I don't go low when I win a race I don't go high I'm flatlined the whole time it's just about winning we speak to Rio Ferdinand on this podcast and he said to us exactly like you he said if I could do one thing it'd be to have my whole career again and just stand on the edge sometimes and watch those moments of success because it was always about the next thing. I, I just think that it's lovely to imagine that you could have done that, but I don't think that you would have been winning Premier Leagues and Champions Leagues if you had. Is that fair? Yeah, I think it's fair to say that. I think the mentality of elite athletes is 
you want to keep winning. You don't want to lose at anything. I don't want to be around people that like losing. I say if I'm playing Monopoly, it's not fun. I want to win. I always want to be the best version of myself and the best I can be. Yeah, that, I don't think that feeling ever, will ever go even when I'm, when I'm old, you know, and I'm playing, I'm playing uh, dominoes or I'm playing blackjack or with, with my friends or cards or whatever it is. I'm always going to want to want to win. But what advice have you learned then, Daniel, from the psychologist that you've been working with and from this year out that would enable you to tread that fine line between keeping that desire to keep wanting to win, but equally having the mindfulness to be able to step away and be grateful for what you have? What sort of techniques have you learned that had helped you to, to walk that fine line? I mean, firstly, it's about, it's about healing first. You know, you have to be totally transparent and honest. You know, I've shed tears to be transparent with you guys. I've shed tears. I've been able to to go through all of the things that have bothered me throughout my career and in early life. And I think also the values you have as a kid is technically what shapes you as you go older. The only time they change is when you have when you experience new things and you're around smarter people than you or you're you're in you're in places where people have a different perspective than you have and it might not even be that they're educated it might be a baby or a, or a child that does something and you're like oh i never i never thought that like i never looked at it like that because they just say things as they see it you know kids do they just speak their mind and say it as it is so i think it can be difficult as an athlete when you don't have a psychologist because you're going through so much and as I said, you hear the same voices, you hear your parents or you hear, and then it becomes the same message that you've heard maybe 50 times. But when you've got somebody else, you know, who wants to get to know you and then you can do the stuff where they they are fueling performance. So it's hard to explain it, but the feeling you get inside is what you get when you lift the trophy. It's the feeling you get when you score a goal. You get that replication you feel that joy, you feel that energy, you feel them, them moments. And then your brain kind of gets to a motion where you can do the things you've done before. Things start to come back to me now so much more easier than they were because your mind is just, you're full of clarity. There's no gray areas. There's no clouds within your mind, within your decision-making, within whatever. You've just got clarity. And when you've got clarity, you're operating at a place of stillness and you can make decisions and do things and train free and lift more and run faster and all those types of things. So, so that's what it's done for me. So clarity comes from asking great questions. So what are the kind of questions that you're now asking of yourself that maybe you weren't five or 10 years ago? Well, I think, I think even five or 10 years ago, to be specific, before I made the first team, for instance, I had my goals, I had my dreams and I wanted to be, you know, a player who could could get into the first team, could play games and all those types of things. And then as time goes on, you start to realise like, okay, the difficult part is navigating your way through the peaks and the trolls, like to navigate your way through all, all these things. That's the hardest part. So I don't I don't think I've always had clarity. I've I've not always had um a clear train of thought because as I said I've been consumed by it or whatever it may be and now I'm in a place where I can sort of 
just look at things for what they are, hold myself accountable. For me, I need positivity around me. That's key. You know, when people are feeding you positive thoughts and positive energy and you're moving positively and you're giving them that, you're always going to be the best version of yourself because you feel like your shoulders are broad, like you feel like, yeah, like I feel great. When you've got negativity around you, you kind of feel like, oh man, like you don't notice it, but your body feels it. And then also the process of, of getting where you want to go, it doesn't happen overnight. And like I said, when I was younger, I had to respect the process. I had to wait my turn. I had to work extra hard to, to do the things I wasn't good at. You know, I had, a, um, had an operation when I was, when I was really young, uh, when I was 18. And, um, you know, I cried at home. Like, I, I remember crying at home and I was like, I don't, I don't know if I'm going to make it to my mom and dad. I was upstairs and I was crying. I was like, man, like I, I had this operation. I don't know if I'm going to make it. Like I can remember that moment vividly. And then I'm, I think it was a year, it was probably six months after I had the operation. I played my first game back, played the youth cup. I scored a hat trick. After that game, I actually came on for the first team, scored in the FA Cup on, on the Saturday. And then on the Tuesday, I think it was the Tuesday or the Wednesday, we played Derby away and I scored in the Premier League. I look back now and I'm saying I'm proud of myself as, a, as that kid who didn't even think he, he'd come out on the other side of the, of the operation to, to, you know, be able to, to do what I've done. So I'm, I'm actually proud. You know what I love about that story, Daniel, is that you've gone from fearing your career is over to scoring in a youth game to scoring in the FA Cup, to scoring in the Premier League. And that is from the lowest lows to the highest highs in, in a matter of days. And what's interesting is when you're a young footballer, people talk about, oh, can he finish? Has he got pace? Has he got awareness on the pitch? Has he got that natural movement you look for from a footballer? Nobody says, has he got the mental dexterity to deal with a crushing blow followed by an incredible high? And I think that is the conversation we need to be having now is are we doing enough to equip young people as you were as a teenager at that point to deal with that sort of stuff? So how hard were the hard moments in your career? Can you take us possibly to, to a period where it was really difficult? I mean, yeah, I'd, I'd probably say I, went, I had a season where I bagged, you know, 24 goals and feeling the highest of the highs. Um, Suarez had just left uh, Liverpool, you know, and I was, I was, I was pretty much at that point in time, considered, you know, potentially the main man. Me, you know, there was a couple of other players, but as far as centre forwards guys, the main man at the time. Started the season well, bagged first game, thinking, yeah, you know, Southampton, we beat them. Um, scored with 20 minutes to go, feeling myself buzzing, and then picked up a, a couple of injuries. And when I picked up those injuries, that was the lowest moment for me. That was the hardest mental task for me because I felt like that was the moment that all right, cool, this is, my, this is my real coming out party. This is, you know, I've scored 24 goals last season. I was runner-up to Hazard in, in young player. I don't know, don't know I didn't win that, to be fair, but <laughs> that's, another <sto> <laughs> that's, an that's another story. But for me, that, that, was, that was difficult, you know, to deal with. But I also knew that in those moments, I started to adopt a different mentality. And I was like, actually, you know what? I need to not even think of myself as a footballer. Like, I have to think of myself as an athlete. Yeah, I've got a comeback, but I need to also think of myself as I'm not a footballer because I'm not actually playing football. So 
I need to think of myself as an athlete. So I started speaking to my friend. She's a, she, you know, she's a, a sprinter for for Team GB. Spoke to her about some stuff. Was doing some boxing stuff. Started doing other things that would also help me to feel like I was achieving because that feeling of feeling like achievement and that feeling of pushing yourself is comes in different places. And at that moment, I couldn't get that from football because you know I was I was I had an injury and I was like, man, like. You know, this season's not gone the way I wanted it to go for me. You know, I've gone from scoring 24 goals to to picking up injuries and working my ass off to get back. And then something else would 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 happen, and I'd be like, "Geez, man, what what like what can I do?" And I think if at that moment I had a psychologist, maybe I would have dealt with it differently. Because in myself, it was the, I was a, you know loading a snake's belly, you know, tearing up at home, crying at the house, feeling like I failed. And then I came back next season. Club came in, we got to the Europa League final, scored in the final. Unfortunately, we lost. I had a good season. I think I finished top scorer for the team. And even then, I didn't feel like I achieved anything. So I think you always want more from yourself. You never, I'm never content. My psychologist says, do you think you've been operating from the fight or flight mode? And I went, what do you mean by that? And he went, well, you know, have you felt stillness or do you feel like you've been in fight or flight? So then we started going into the to the past and all the things that happened as a kid and so on and so forth. And then you get to a point where you're like, oh yeah, maybe I was. You know, maybe fight or flight is feeling like you can't do something so you really, really want to do it. Or feeling like your back's against the wall and you've got to punch your way out. Like, Can you give us an example of what, of how that emerged in uh, in your career? So I think the fight or flight might be, for instance, you're not playing every week, for instance, and you start thinking, the gaffer's not having me. And it's like, nah, the gaffer might actually be having you, but you just need to do something different. Like, simple as that. You know, it could be you're in a workplace, and this this applies to everyone. You're in a workplace and the manager don't feel like he, he appreciates me or someone else is doing better than you in your workplace and you're thinking... If they're doing that, then if I be more like them, then maybe I'll be better. And then, like, you're not. I've always wanted to play. I've always wanted to win. I've always wanted to score. And sometimes it's just about being the best person you can be, whether that be best teammate, best dad, best mum, best co-worker at work, best teacher at school, and being the best version of yourself, irrelevant of whether you're playing or not, be the best version of yourself. And it's not about thinking, whoa, me, or whatever like that. It's more about, you know what? I'll do this and I'll and I'll persevere and I'll get there and I'll be the best I can be for, for everybody else if I'm not getting out of this what I want to get out of this. What I think is really interesting about this, Daniel, is that people watch you from the outside thinking everything's fine. They don't realise what actually goes on in the in the mind of an athlete. How difficult is that when you live a life where people are people are creating their preconceptions or their opinion of you based on very little information? Did that bother you? Absolutely. I mean, I remember there was one time when I was on the bench and like I'm a straight faced guy, you know. My I, I smile everybody who knows me knows I'm a I'm a laughy, jokey character. Similar to Micah, Micah's one of my best friends. And how you see Micah on television is how me and him are every single day when we're together. We just banter, we laugh, we joke. That's how I am as a person. But 
if I'm walking down the street or if I'm sat down somewhere, I'm generally going to be straight faced and I'm not going to be smiling and it may look like I'm angry. So I remember seeing something where it was like, oh, he's uh, angry because he's not playing or these things. And I was like, I was just sat there and my face was straight. Like, I don't get, do they want me to smile? Do they want me to be bantering with my teammates on the bench? Like, do they want me to be happy I'm sat on the bench? I don't, I wasn't sure like how to take it. So then I was like, okay, so if I if I laugh and joke now, do they, you know, so it, it's kind of like, you can't please everyone. And that's one thing I will say is that preconceptions, a lot of the time are misconceptions and people don't know athletes personally. And a lot of people have never met them. I always say when people meet me, they know I'm a, I'm a really good person and I have a great heart and I'm, I'm kind, I'm caring. Of course, there's there's times when the press may have asked me for an interview and I've not played or I've had a bad game and I'm like, I ain't even looking at them. My headphones are on and I'm walking. I don't want to do it. I, I don't want to speak to the press. And it's nothing personal. I think sometimes the press um, in the past may have took things personally, not just from me too, from many players, but it's that thing where as a footballer you're so consumed by yourself and your own thoughts that you don't think, you know what, this reporter's got a job to do, you know. I actually might have to have a chat with him and, and give him give him his five minutes. See, there's your there's your clarity of thought again after your period of of reflection and your conversations. You know what? Exactly. I, I, yeah. There's a real sense here that when you started playing football, Daniel, you had a real freedom, yeah, and you just played it because you loved the game. Now, with everything you've done over the last eighteen months, there's a real freedom again. I wonder whether in the middle, when you are right in the eye of the storm of your football career, whether you lost that freedom. Absolutely. I'm an instinctive person. You know, I play off instinct and I went through a period when I didn't, I lost that and I didn't have that feeling. And it's back now, it's been back for the last six months where everything I do, most like think positive things are coming to me because I'm operating from this place. All the things I've wanted to achieve are coming to fruition because of where I'm at, because I've, I've cleared away the rubble which is what the, the psychologist calls it, clearing away the rubble, clear away and operate from that sense of clarity and that freedom, as you say, that is instinctiveness is what drove me. You know, I remember sometimes I used to score goals and I didn't even know how I scored. Um, and I was like, I had to watch a video back and be like, wait, what happened? Because it was literally just instinct. And I think when you lose that, the gut is the real mind. That's the thing that, you know, really gives you the information that you need. Sorry about my dog, by the way. He's miles off. No worries about him. No worries. No worries. Um, Is that the dog that got stolen? Yeah, he's back where he belongs. Yeah, we got, Love we that. got him. We, Let yeah, that we dog got, we, bark all he likes in your yeah, house. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly, yeah. <laughs> we got him back. We got him. That was, a, that was a difficult time too. We got him back in, in 24 hours, to be fair. But back to the instinctive thing. I think for me, the gut is where... I operate at my purest and clearest form. The mind, because it's been, um, it's gone through so many different things, you're operating from a place of almost overthinking things. Your gut's just saying, do this. And then your mind's like, ah, should I really do that? I don't know. Sometimes you get that feeling where you, you feel a sense of danger and you ever get that feeling when you feel a sense of danger and then your body feels weird and you're like, ooh, like, why do I feel like this? That feeling is your gut telling you danger might happen. 
people don't trust their gut enough. And I think the most successful people, their gut is what gives them the, the purest form and the art form of like making the decisions that make the most sense for them because they know truly what they want. But the mind sometimes tricks them and makes them think, mm, I'm not sure that's what I want. I'm not sure. But, you know, I, I know now what I want. My, my instinct's back. My gut's back. That freedom's back, like you said, Jake. Um, so I'm in a positive place, man. I, I can't ask for any more. I'm grateful, honestly. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. So tell us this then, Daniel, if that you played for some of the, the best coaches in uh, in football. So what advice would you give to these coaches about how they can integrate you into a structure and a system, but still preserve that uh, instinct that you describe as when you're at your best? Most of the coaches that I worked with, I had that, to be honest. It's more so a case of when you play off instinct, of course you have to be tactically aware. So it's not just about walking around and running around, running around like a bee and, you know, like flying around and just going everywhere. Rule number one is team framework. It's not about you. How's the team going to win? And when you play with certain coaches, you kind of understand like, okay, this guy, his abilities are different. So we're going to let him be his best version of himself. Like if I can dribble very well and I'm quick and I'm these types of things, like I would like the coach to allow me to do that. But of course, if he says, you know what, we want you to hold the ball up or we want you to press high or we want you to do this, it, that's the trade-off that you have to have. So I learned a lot tactically when I went to Chelsea from, from Ancelotti. I was operating from the wing, which wasn't my natural position at the time. So I had to learn that as well. And that is what made me use my right foot more. Funnily enough, I learned to use my right foot and I learned specific skill sets to allow me to be a better player in the Premier League, which is, it, it's some people may say, oh, I've got to learn all these things before I get there. But you learn as you go. You know, you, you have to tweak things as you move on. So I think for coaches and working with me now, I'm at a place of flexibility where I feel like I've learned so much not playing football. I think the game's going to be easier for me now because operating from a sense of clarity and freedom, but also I've learned so much about different styles of play, about little things which maybe I wouldn't have watched as many games because I just wanted to put the ball away so I wouldn't watch a football match on television or whatever it may be. But now I'm watching everything. I'm watching all games, everyone. I'm, I'm trying to learn as much as I can. So which coach would you say got the best out of you then and why? Brendan was very good for me and Andre Villas-Boas were the two. Saying that Stuart Pearce was, was class for me though. It was like a father figure, Stuart Pierce was. Had me as a kid when I was at City and gave me every opportunity that I had. Gave me my Premier League debut, gave me my, um, you know, my England debut. Gave, I went to the Olympics with him, under-21s manager. He just knew how to speak to me, to get the best out of me. The way Brendan used to, to manage me, it got the best out of me, but it was a different style to Stuart Pierce. So Brendan's style would be, for instance, 
I would feel like going to half time and I feel like I played all right in the first half. Like I didn't score whatever. And then he'd be digging me out and I'd be like, what's he on about? Like, like in my mind, I'm like, what's the gaffer talking about right now? Like I've, I've done decent. Some other players have been miles off it today and he's picking me out. So I'm like, all right, cool. So I go out. You probably see there was a goal I scored against Sunderland if the, if the listeners want to look back at it. And I scored probably about 10 or 15 minutes after the second half and I turned around and was like, and I looked at the bench like, yeah, Gaffer, like, you know, you put, you said what you said and then that, that's what you get type thing. Because it was almost like me trying to prove to him. So again, it's that fight or flight thing. You know what I'm saying? Where you're trying to prove something to somebody. It's not about proving something to somebody. It's about proving it to you. That's the thing. Prove it to yourself that you can do it. Prove to yourself that you can be whatever it is that you want to be. You shouldn't feel like you have to prove it to somebody else. And that is the biggest issue, I think, for not just footballers, but athletes in general and people in other sports. Don't worry about what everyone else thinks. Worry about what you can prove to you. And lastly, as I said, I've got to give Andrew Villas-Boas a shout out because he was unbelievable for me. He believed in me so much. And literally gave me the freedom. Daniel, when you get the ball, dribble, cut inside and, you know, shoot. And I remember my teammates like, Studge, like, stop shooting. Like, you shot five times today. You're like, and in my mind, I'm like, yo, the gaffer's giving me the freedom out here today. So I'm going to take advantage of this. (laughs) So, so, so kind of like, that's kind of like um, the different styles, I'd say, for those, those three and I think for Jürgen, you know, to give him a mention as well, Jürgen was a great manager. He was different to all the others and I didn't play as much with him, but I learned a lot and we, we had a very good relationship, um, especially towards the end. The last season, the relationship I had with Jürgen was unbelievable and I've got nothing but love and respect for him, for what he's achieved at Liverpool, but also for the relationship we have um, today as well. You know, it's, it's brilliant. Go on, describe that in more detail if you would. Like, what was it when you talk about the strength of relationship? I think as a player, sometimes you don't understand, like, how big it is to have a good relationship with the coach. You know, not every manager is like that. Um, But to have a great understanding, have mutual respect, of course, he's the manager. And I think um, I always respected every manager that I worked with. If I never played, of course, I want to know why I'm not playing, not in in an aggressive, but but I want to know, like, I'm a details person. So I always ask questions. That's how I'm wired. So, for instance, if you said to me, Daniel, do 25 squats, I'd say, why do you want me to do 25 squats? And then you'd say, because it will strengthen your glutes and strengthen your quads and it will make you more strong. And I'd be like, okay, cool. So, for instance, if I, if I, if I wasn't playing, I'd say, Gaffer, what do I need to do to, to play? Like, what is it that you want me to do so I can actually get in the team? So I'm a details-driven person because I feel like when I get details, then that's my goal. You've given me the detail. You've given me the information I need. I'm going to take that information for me and I'm going to apply myself correctly to try and achieve those things to please whatever coach it was at the time to, to see if, I, if what they've told me, if I'm doing what you've told me to do, you know, I would like to think that I would be able to play off the back of that. I think when um when you talk about your time at Liverpool and for a lot of it obviously it was fantastic and you scored amazing goals and you played some of the best football of your career but towards the end when you're going to come in it was difficult and that reminds me of that phrase just because something is hard for you doesn't mean it's bad for you you probably learned a great deal n- not having it all easy towards the end of your time at Liverpool I imagine yeah I mean as I said the first the first um 
sort of conversation we had, you know, Jurgen was was saying, you know, I came here because I wanted to work with with you, with Coutinho, with with these players that we have in the squad. We have a great squad for me. Noah's a brilliant player, and all these things. And um, I was like, I'm looking forward to it. I'm absolutely buzzing. And I think as time went on, the team framework changed and the formation changed, and my style of play at the time wasn't what the team needed in that position and it, it's just what it was it wasn't personal and maybe I took it personally at the time as well and I thought like is the gaffer having maybe. me? Maybe maybe or you definitely did nah I did for sure I was like is the gaffer having me or what like you know what I mean like I know I've still got it like I can still do this thing I, I've still got the speed I can still run in behind I, I'm, I'm twisting people up in training every day I felt for me in those moments when I felt like I wasn't sure there was there was uncertainty for me and again maybe I wasn't operating from my gut maybe I wasn't I wasn't playing free I felt like I had to do what the manager was telling me to do instead of thinking I'm going to do what he wants me to do but I've still got to be Daniel but I'm as I said so detail driven and so like thinks like okay cool if the gaffer says this and I'm gonna I'm gonna have to um operate in that way and it wasn't to the detriment of me as well. Let's not let's be frank here. We were winning games every week, and uh, we were successful, and we won tro- and we won a trophy as well. We won a Champions League. So everything that that manager, um, how he set the team up, it worked. You know, we made finals every season. Um, so his tactics were correct because the teams come along a long way. Um, and I just think, at, for me at the time. I was thinking to myself, okay, what do I need to do? So I'd, I'd want to be the best version of myself. And at the time I wasn't playing. And then in, in the last season, I said, I took it on the chin and I said, you know what? This could potentially be my last season at Liverpool. So I'm going to just just go for it and, and not really have any, any concerns or any worries about anything. And I did start to operate from my gut again. And as I said, nothing but love and respect for Jürgen because he taught me a lot. So I'm grateful for that because I think it's it's helped me outside outside of life. All the coaches I work with has helped me not just in football but outside football too, um, in the business world, in in investment things that I do, and the music business that I work in. Like it's helped me so much. All the advice I've got from these coaches. So I'm grateful, um, grateful for everything I've done. That reminds me, you know, I remember covering a, a game towards the end of your time at Liverpool. And one of the pundits I was working with said, yeah, I'll tell you the problem with Daniel Lee. Um, he's got too many things going on. He's got like, you know, that he likes his clothes and he likes his music and he likes his um, stirring sauces and all. And I remember thinking, why do we ha- have this issue where we are constantly trying to put people in a box and say, right, you're a footballer. If you do anything yeah. other than play football, we will assume that stuff is bad for your football. I think that's completely wrong because you're consumed by it. And that's a problem. You need to have a break. You need to go into work every day, feeling excited, go home, put the ball away, enjoy your time with your family, have other things. When I retire, if I'm only consumed by football, what do I have? Trophies and no knowledge of anything else. I understand it's a 15-year career at best for for some people. And for, for others, it may be half of that or maybe less. Yes, you may earn enough money which could potentially financially secure your family. It may not. But what do you do when you retire then? Do I golf every day? Is that going to be my life? You know, do I... uh, I don't know. I I don't know what 
sort of thing makes sense besides doing things you're passionate about. When I was a kid, football wasn't my only passion. I, I liked music. I wanted to be an actor when I was a kid. I did drama, I did drama at school. You know, I did, um, I did um, music at school. I'm generally an artsy person. You know, I've, I've, my mum's an unbelievable chef, which is why we have the sauce. I have a record label, which I don't even run myself. So it wasn't taking up any of my time. Um, yeah, but even if it I, was, though, that's, that's not a bad it's, thing. It's not, it's, not, it's, not a bad, it's not a bad thing. But, but the, the, the thing is, for me, the misconception is you have to be just a footballer or just, some, just an athlete or just a boxer. And it's wrong. The day before a game, you're locking, your phone's not even, you're, like, you're not even responding to people. You do not disturb, you're locked in. Day, game day, you're locked in. But throughout the week, you're at training, you wake up at probably 8, 8.30, you're in at 10, you train, you get home, you're home by two o'clock. I've got eight hours to play with. Should I sit on Call of Duty for eight hours? Should I, you know, get a massage? If I get a massage, if I get acupuncture if I get recovery pants on if I do all these things that's four hours what about the other four do you want me on the couch watching television or do you want me doing something that can potentially earn me money and also I'm passionate about and will set me up so that when you retire it's a seamless um, transition so can I pick up that word then on that you just use there about passion because I think a really fascinating discussion for people to understand, Daniel, is this difference between intrinsic motivation and extrinsic. So you had this drive to be relentless and keep pushing yourself into outside of your comfort zone and getting comfortable with discomfort. But how do you maintain that when you then start to get the trappings of success? You get the financial rewards, you're surrounded by all these symbols that you've achieved everything that you ever dreamt of. How do you keep that passion alive? It's never enough. It's as simple as that. It's never enough. I'll come back next season and I'll score goals and I'll, and I'll, and I'll achieve things that I've meditated on and thought about for a long time um, throughout this time of me not playing. And for me, it's never enough. Like... I know that if my record label had a number one, it'd be like, we need another number one or we need to work on another number one. If the source is sold 50 bottles, how can we sell 60? It's just the way I, the way I am. Like when I invest in, in tech companies or whatever it may be, again, it's how can I help? How can I help you guys to be the best you can be? What can I do for you? How can I help the company grow? Those types of things. So for me, it's, I think, being passionate is something you, you have inside and everyone has their own passion and you have to find it. That's, that's the thing. Some people are confused with not knowing what their true passion is. So they're doing things that they think are, it's fun, but they don't love it. Everything I do, I love. If I don't love it, I'm not going to do it. If I don't love music, I'm not going to be in the music business. If I don't love football, I wouldn't want to play again. It'd be easy for me to say I'm going to retire today. I've been, I've been off for a year, but I love it. It's my life. It's, it's, it's my passion. It's what, I've, what I know the best. It's the art form that makes me who I am and has made me who I am. So it's about love and passion for me. Those are, those are two things that 
mean the most to me, you know, and it's unconditional. It's unconditional love for football. It'll never go away. I'm so excited for the club that's going to get their hands on you. And we'll talk about the future in just a second. But lots of people get in touch with Damien and I and they say they've got the passion, they've got the drive, but they are saddled with regret. What's your relationship like with regret? I, you know, I know you have, you've had this ban from football because of this mm-hmm. betting issue that you yeah. went through. And yeah. you're someone that takes 100% responsibility for anything that happens in your life. So what is your relationship like with, with regret? How do you process that and move forwards? Again, the psychologist. It's the only way forward. You have to work through it. You know, as I said, I've shed tears. I've, I've been realistic. I've been honest. I've held myself accountable. I think holding yourself accountable, regardless of the outside noise and the, the grey areas and the bad advice and the bad information that people give you and the cloud that comes over you that you don't know and the confusion, all those things happen. And you do go through moments where you do things that you shouldn't do or you say things you shouldn't say or you operate in a way that you're ashamed of. And looking back, as you say, if you, if you have the knowledge you have and you're operating from a sense of clarity, there would be no mistakes because you're clear and your mind's clear. You don't have anything going on. It's just got clarity. That's it. So I think for me, the regrets only come from moments of not, of not having clarity, to be honest with you. That is it. Like not operating from a, of a sense of clarity for me is where every mistake I've made come from. Besides that, all the good things that have happened came from clarity and all the bad things have happened came from clarity, came from not having clarity. So it's, it's like, it's one of those where you, you know, you have to, you have to try and find the balance. It's a brilliant answer. So let's talk then about the clarity that you're going to take on to your second career. Let's call it that. What will the club that signs you, what will they get? What sort of Daniel Sturridge will walk through that door? I don't like to use the word hungry. I feel I'm driven. Um, motivated I'm dedicated I've put in the work I've been training day in day out for the past 12 months even when I was banned you know and and um I was still training we had we had covid that period there where everyone was pretty much banned at that point but moving forward for me now I'm just I'm driven like I I know I have it like I know I'm me like I'm so confident I just feel it you know what I'm saying? Like, and people will see it. Put it like that. So are you as good as you've ever been? I mean, my playing my playing weight now is... I'm training so hard now. My playing weight's back where it was eight years ago. Wow. You know, I'm I'm obsessed by, by the fact that I know I want to be what I was before. I'm better than that. I'll be better than that. I'm wiser now. I'm older now. My body's in physical shape. I didn't even think I could get to that weight again. I'm doing things that I didn't think was possible to myself. So I'm proving to myself. That's why I said I'm proud of myself because... To be holding myself accountable and saying, you know what, bro, you've got to go to bed now or you've got to do this or that's not for you or don't do that or, oh, I'm going to go link my friends. Do I really need to link my friends if i got to be up at eight tomorrow? Nah, I'm not going to link them. Holding myself accountable for everything. So I'm driven. I'm motivated. I want to win. I want to help a team be successful. I want to give young players the knowledge I've learned and make sure that they don't make any of the mistakes that I've made to help them be the best versions of themselves. That's important to me also. I feel, honestly feel at this present moment, the best I've felt in 10 years. So I'm intrigued, Dan, about this work that you've spoke about a number of times with the, with the psychologist and on the mental side of your preparation. If you had to attribute like a percentage, what do you think that's going to give you that's different from the Daniel before the ban? Well, 
I'd probably have been half of me before and I'm now Daniel 2.0. I've done the work and the, the hardest thing and the biggest and most difficult thing for me was to actually take that step because vulnerability for anybody is the worst feeling you can have. Feeling vulnerable, unsure, not knowing, uncertainty. And taking that step to speak to the psychologist was a, was a hard a hard thing for me. But I said, you know what? I'm going to do it. I had Steve Peters when I played for Liverpool 2013, but he's more sports psychology. But this is different. It's, it's, it's sports, but it's also about you. I remember the very first time I, I did an interview with Liverpool, with, um, with, uh, when I signed for Chelsea, they wrote a story and said I was arrogant. And I was like, I'm not arrogant. I'm confident there's a difference. There's a very, very big difference. And I'm supremely confident in me because I've done the work. And when you've done the work and when you've been dedicated and when you've put yourself in a position and looked at yourself from the outside looking in, and then you look at yourself from the inside and look out and say, okay, like, what do you want? Like, what is it you're trying to achieve? Are you going to do what it takes? Hold yourself accountable for what it is you want to achieve. I just want to be able to, to be out there and, and show my, what, you know, the changes I've made in my life. I'm, I'm so excited for it all. For me, this is the recurring theme that I keep thinking about in this interview is a guy who was free, then he wasn't free and now he is. And it's the freedom that is allowing you to ha to talk like this. If you weren't free and if you were still knotted up and twisted up and feeling like people didn't understand you and you were being wronged and and you you there was no clarity to your thought process, you wouldn't be able to sit here and talk like this. I think this freedom that you've got allows you to say, look, I, I don't know, I spend my life interviewing footballers, Daniel, and they say things and afterwards I finish the interview thinking, I'm not sure that he, he believed what he was telling me, let alone whether I believed it. I see you sitting here talking now I have no doubt that you have absolute cast iron belief and it isn't an arrogance. It is a belief that things are going to work out for the good. And what is the point thinking anything other than that? What benefit is it to you to sit here and think it won't work out well? Exactly. And the thing is, as well, is this doesn't just apply to, to sport. I'm talking about in general, my life. I'm being the best dad I can be. You know, the first six months of my baby being born, you know, it was, it was like, I'm worthless. Like, I, I can't, I can't feed her. You know, she's, you know, like all these things, like, does she really know me? All of that. And it's about being present. Be present in everything you're doing. Don't look past things. Be present in the moment and say, you know what? My daughter, I'm going to give my daughter my undivided attention now until she doesn't want it from me. I'm going to give... The gym, when I go to that gym, the gym, the coach is getting my undivided attention for that hour and a half that I'm with him because I know that he has the best intentions for me. Whatever I'm doing, if I'm in a meeting, I'm listening, I'm learning, I want to learn from people. In this moment in time now, I'm learning so much from so many different people, which also helps to help you help me grow as a person too. It's about growth. I feel like I've grown so much since I've been away from football, which is only going to help me and fuel me when I, when I go back to it. So that's the, that's the most exciting thing I would say. You can say you want to grow, but are you going to be willing to actually learn and take heed? For me, as a, I'm going to go back to it. Clarity is the most important thing in life. Right. It's been a, what a 
brilliant, brilliant conversation. Listen, we've reached the point of our quickfire questions, Daniel, which we finish every interview with. So the first one is the three non-negotiables that people around you have to buy into. First one, positive energy. Always feed me with that. Respect my process. Anything I need to do that's going to benefit me, you have to understand it. And if you don't understand it, then you don't love me because I have to do what is best for the process that's going to make me be the best version of myself. And I'd say lastly as well, hold me accountable because I'm going to hold myself accountable. And if you don't believe I'm doing something right, hold me accountable and call me out on it and say, yo, you shouldn't do that or you should do this or whatever it may be. What advice would you give to a teenage Daniel just starting out? Work on your weaknesses and improve on your strengths. I think be dedicated and if you really want it, you have to make the sacrifices. If you're not prepared to make sacrifices to get to your goal, you're not going to get there. That's as simple as it gets. You have to make the sacrifices, be dedicated and put the work in. And then from there... Whatever level you physically can achieve or mentally can achieve in any craft you do, you will reach your potential. And that may not be the best. That may not be number one. That may be number 100. Number 100 is fine too. There's billions of people in the world. Just be the best you can be. Reach your potential. Don't worry about anybody else and what anyone else is doing. Just focus on yourself and reach your potential. What is your biggest strength and what is your greatest weakness? It's a good question, you know. I feel like my instinct is my biggest strength. Being instinctive, but being strong-willed and strong-minded. I feel I'm strong-willed and strong-minded because I've been through so much, but I'm here today standing proud in the best place mentally in my life that I could possibly be. And like I said, I'm proud of myself for going through this process and still going through it, by the way. It's not finished. So I'd say strong-minded um, strong and strong well, probably, probably that, even though my instinct is, is my core. My weaknesses, I would say I hate losing and I hate failing. And it's hard to accept. And then I blame myself and I'm too hard on myself. And the problem with that is when you blame yourself or you're hard on yourself, you're getting in your own way. I think that because I want to to always be successful and always um, get to where I want to get in life. If I fail, it feels like even more than it should. So you started by quoting from a book, Daniel. What one book recommendation would you make? I'd say John Kehoe, uh, Mind Power, was probably the best book I've read. That last season with Liverpool, as I said, I read that book pre- in, when I was on holiday before pre-season. And I remembered visioning, I was saying, we're going to win the Champions League this season, you know. And I said it in my head, like, and really believed it. It was weird. And I think that that book there is game-changing for the psychological side of sport and life because it makes you think of yourself. It makes you write things down. It makes you, um, it teaches you so much. So I'd say Mind Power by John Kehoe would be, would be the one. And the final question, Daniel, for everyone listening to this, um, a good takeaway for all of them. The one golden rule that you would share with people for them to live a high-performance life. Be prepared to make the sacrifices 
if you want to be successful in life. Love it. What is it the Marines say? Everybody wants to go to heaven, but nobody's prepared to die. It's a great one. <laughs> Isn't that's it? A great, that's um, a great one, man. Yeah, you can have that one. Um, like, do you know what? I, there's a real sense of balance from you. For the, maybe for the first time since you became a professional footballer, you seem to have all of the elements for your life in order. Um, and that can only be something that enhances you as a footballer but I almost think that like that's downplaying it it's not about enhancing you as a footballer is it it's about enhancing you as a person enhancing the life that you live and the life that you're going to live for the next 40 or 50 years god willing so um thanks so much for coming on here and, and sharing your story it's been a really interesting conversation thank you very much for having me Damien and Jake it's been a pleasure honestly um and I really appreciate the really appreciate the platform and the work you guys have done as well so I just want to um, give you guys a shout out and say continue doing the great work. I've been listening, I've been watching, and um, I'm sure there's a lot of kids out there who and, and adults too who will gain a lot of knowledge from your platform. So thank you guys for, for doing this. Damien, Jake. I enjoyed hearing from Lukey, his dog as well. Yeah, the one that was uh, held hostage. Yeah, that's exactly the one, the one that was held hostage. And do you know what? It's interesting you say that because I think that, um, I think he might have been held hostage by football for years and he is finally emerging from that period, you know? Yeah, well, I mean, wasn't it fascinating just hearing that he spoke about losing that innocence in many ways and becoming clouded, his judgment started to become flawed and stepping away from that bubble having as given him that clarity back has been, I mean, I, I just found that conversation fascinating from that perspective. And it feels to me like as a society, not just as a, not just as a sport, but as a society, we need to create a society where people like Daniel, who are competing at the top, have a myriad of things going on around them. A lot of them we don't know about. We need to create a society where we don't remove the freedom from those people. We allow them to have the freedom and, and, and to, to sort of live out what they should, really. I feel like we're the problem when people like Daniel talk about the struggles and, and the issues. Yeah, definitely. And I think what Daniel's doing there, Jake, is he's helping shift the narrative a little bit in terms of if he's talking about mental health, he's talking about seeking clarity from his work with a psychologist as much as the physical development work that he's doing. And I think we need to be understanding and sympathetic of that, that... We want our heroes to be rounded people and we have to give them the space to make mistakes, learn their lessons and to be able to come back and share what they've learned on that journey. And I think we have to understand there will be people listening to this that will go, what, what healing did Daniel Sturridge need? You know, but when someone says to you, I've spoken to a psychologist, I've cried and it was a healing process. You have to respect that that is the truth. That is what has happened here. Yeah, there's no there's no benefit in him to share that with us other than he's, he's exposing his own lessons that he's learned, the thinking, the journey that he's been on. But equally, you know, in that conversation we had at the end, he wants to help young people, whether that's in the dressing room, going back into football, or whether it's through doing interviews like this, to let people know that making mistakes needn't be as we say on this, a full stop. Instead, it can be a comma, a moment to pause, reflect, and then get smarter and go again. 
And I'm so um, excited, actually, by the fact that, you know, we've spoken to Tyrone Mings and we've spoken to Grant Hanley. Now we've spoken to Daniel and other people involved in football. All of them now are working not just with sports psychologists, but with actual psychologists, you know, enhancing their lives, not just their football careers. Because I think that enhancing their lives, giving, giving them that balance and that equilibrium definitely makes them a better footballer. But it's about so much more than that. What is it that Kevin Sinfield said? To be a hero on the pitch, you have to be a hero at home. And I think this, these sorts of conversations for people like Daniel are allowing them to have such balance across both their home life and their work life that they can be a hero at home, which will in turn make them more of a hero on the pitch because they'll just be so much more centred. Yeah, you know, happy people tend to win. Happy people tend to perform better than the norm, Jake. That when you're enjoying what you're doing, you're passionate, that you're, that you're immersed in whatever task is at hand, you tend to invest more time in it and and spend longer and therefore hopefully become smarter at it. And for anyone listening to this that goes, well, I don't get access to a psychologist, I'm not sure I can get that. I hope even in our small way of them listening to our podcast on a regular basis, they're getting access to the kind of questions that people are being asked and, and are reflecting on and that they can do this, whether it's alone or with family or friends they can take some of the learnings and apply it in their own lives brilliant good advice Damien um, thank you so much I think you know my overriding feeling is after that I'm just really pleased for him it, you know it feels like he's found balance and I hope that whatever happens next it, it works out well because I'm sure he would much rather be involved in the Euros than, than sitting in LA wondering what his future holds yeah, and I'd, I'd, I'd echo what you've just said, Jake. I wish him the best of luck, not just in this next chapter of his football career, but in the next chapter of his life as well. Thanks, Damien. Thanks, mate. Thank you so much for uh, for joining us for this episode of the High Performance Podcast. And that's it. Um, the Euros isn't over, but our Euro 2020 specials are. Thank you very much for all the comments, for getting in touch on Instagram, for sharing and talking about the podcast. Um I just want to remind you that we're also on YouTube. So again, totally free of charge. You can head to YouTube. You can watch the interviews that you're hearing on the High Performance Podcast. And I just think when you when you see the passion in the eyes of the people who are joining us, you just get even more from these podcasts. So please feel free to head to YouTube and just type in the High Performance Podcast and you'll be able to get extended versions of all of our interviews right there. And before I sign off from this episode of the High Performance Podcast, just a quick one to say that um, if you're listening to this before Sunday the 4th of July, I would love you to help us out by voting for us in the Listener's Choice Award for the British Podcast Awards. This is the award voted for by listeners. So if the High Performance Podcast has changed your life, altered your thinking, improved an aspect of the way that you live your life every day, I would love it if you would vote for us in the British Podcast Awards. All you have to do is click the link in the description to this podcast, but you need to vote before the 4th of July and I would be so pleased if you can do that. Thanks as always to Finn Ryan at Rethink Audio for his brilliant and hard work on the High Performance Podcast. Thanks to Hannah and Will for their hard work behind the scenes. And of course, for his brilliant questions 
and his insightful approach to life. Huge thanks to Professor Damien Hughes. Without him, this podcast wouldn't be the podcast it is. But most of all, thanks to you. Um, or I say this every week, but it, honestly, I can't tell you the difference it makes. If you're able to share your thoughts on this episode on your Instagram or your Twitter, if you can stick it in a WhatsApp group and send it around to some of your friends, if you can put it on a work email and send it to your colleagues if you think it might benefit them. When people share the High Performance Podcast, it changes things for us completely. So if you can do that, we'd be so grateful. But either way, thanks so much for listening and we'll see you very soon for another episode of the High Performance Podcast. Thank you.